Hello and welcome to episode three of the podcast series, Mum, You've Got This. For those who are listening to this podcast for the first time, you could go back and listen to the intro episode so that you get some more information about what this podcast is about. Basically, it's stories that we hear from everyday awesome women who are going through the balancing act of being mums, working and still trying to get time for themselves and leading their lives and and just the juggling act that that kind of, um, that brings with it. So before we start, um, we have an incredible person on the episode today who I've admired uh, for a long time. Um, This episode will bring up uh, stories of infant loss. So if you or someone you know have experienced that and hearing this story may potentially trigger some emotions for you. I wanted to give that trigger warning on infant loss for today. Um, You may choose to not listen and that's perfectly fine. If you do, um, I'm sure you have support networks around you to to help you if it does trigger more emotions for you. Um, The guest today has let me know of one that has helped her uh, in her times of needing that extra support. It's called Bears of Hope. They have a website, bearsofhope.org.au, and they do have a grief counselling line on 1300 11 Hope. So the person that we have on today is a lady called Angelique, or Ange, as I will call her, and most people I believe do. And I know uh, via a mutual friend from Tassie, and... Ange and I hadn't really met too many times in person, um, but we connected a lot over social media. Um, and I'll let Ange tell her story. Ange, welcome and thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. Looking so we, to it. <laughs> we just want to start, um, if you can give everyone a quick overview of you and your life now. So, you know, your age, if you're happy to reveal, reveal it, um, any children, your partner, where you're living um, and where you're kind of from and what you do for work and what your partner does for work. Yeah, of course. So I've just recently turned 31. Um, I live in Wollongong at the moment. I'm engaged to Dave and we're getting married in April, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave's an electrician, just recently qualified, which is also very exciting. Um, we have one little angel baby called Franklin, who was born in 2016 and sadly passed away not long after. And we have a little rainbow baby who's not a big baby anymore called Otis. <laughs> and he was born on the 3rd of March 2018, so coming on to two very soon. Goodness. Um, we, I'm quite busy on the work front at the moment. I've got two casual jobs and then one part-time job. So I'm doing F45 a couple of nights in a bar and back at the government, so public servant for a little while mm-hmm. on the contract. Um, a little bit against my will on the last one, but definitely enjoying where I'm at at the moment, so it's all turned out for the good. And are you still studying, Edge, or is that all done? Yes, almost finished. I'm on my last topic of a matter of weeks. Yeah, and what is that that you're doing? Uh, that's for my cert for in fitness, so mm-hmm. as a personal trainer, um, and then I'll be continuing my studies on from there, so that's been the the main goal for the last 12 months. Okay. Knocking that bit on. So give us a picture of yourself uh, pre-children, what your life was kind of like, um, just briefly sort of from leaving school and your career path and just generally kind of how you lived your life prior to falling pregnant with Franklin. Yeah, sure. So after school, I moved to Sydney, um, spent a year or two in Sydney, basically just being young and fun and having the time of my life. And Dad said to me when I was about 18 that I had to go back to school or I could save up and study. So I, I moved in with my dad to save my own, oh, not study, sorry, go overseas. So I opted for the overseas because it was a bit more fun at the time and moved in with my dad and stepmom in Tasmania and saved up and travelled and kind of went back and forth from Tassie in Europe um, and ended up in Tasmania and got a good job with the government down there and made a lot of really close connections and friends that became my family and then nine years later I met Dave um, not long after I had just returned from a trip to Mexico and America um, and we had Franklin quite early on in the relationship we'd only been together for about six months mm-hmm. um, so that was quite a testing time even before losing him I suppose for our relationship um, 
hospital has brought us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dave and my life, to, uh, separate, were quite free and not a lot of responsibility. We did a lot of travelling. We did a lot of socialising. We both had pretty well-paying jobs that we spent a lot of the money on ourselves and doing what we kind of wanted to do, which we don't regret because um, we... You know, you don't have any regrets and we enjoyed our lifestyle and we did a lot of things that we have a little bit of a delayed start to our future, I suppose, financially now, but we're uh, recovering and making up for that lost time now. So so much different when you look back then at how much disposable income you had that you didn't sort of realise and you kind of, you get in a position where you have kids and all these extra commitments and you're like, man, what did I do with all that disposable income? <laughs> and all the money wasted and just even the way you look at your money at the supermarket it's crazy yeah I agree so if we can talk about Franklin then obviously he's your he's your first baby um so what happened if you can tell everyone I know you have a really important message you want to share um but tell us around you know falling pregnant um if it was planned or what happened and throughout pregnancy and your whole experience there so Dave and I had been together, I think, only about three months. We were obviously head over heels for each other and in love, and we were 27 then, and Dave brought up the conversation before I did and just said that he was pretty keen on having kids pretty early um, and that if that wasn't something for me, then we'd need to think about going separate ways because it wasn't really something he wanted to compromise on or I should if I wanted to have kids. So we were on the same path and we knew that we wanted to have children and we, we did plan on doing that within 12 months um, from when we met. So it made the decision pretty easy to decide what to do when we did fall pregnant so soon. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we didn't really, we were just both so filled with excitement and joy that we didn't think twice about what to do. So we, that was around Christmas time when we found out. It was a very exciting time sharing that with our families and beginning to plan the future. And we were in Hobart and we had our, um, eight week scan, everything was fine. He was growing really well. Then we had the 13 week scan, everything was fine. He was moving around a lot, a very active little tadpole and mm-hmm. no warning signs, nothing. I'd been, I had been diagnosed with glandular fever just before we got pregnant. So I was feeling pretty tired, pretty lethargic, pretty emotional, but I just thought all of these things were pregnancy and glandular fever. I thought, that would be a pretty tough mix to take on. I'd never had either of those things, so we didn't really question the way I was feeling too much. Um, and then it came to our 20-week scan, and we went in to find out the gender, and we're both really excited. We were pretty open that we both wanted a boy, and we were telling the lady that was doing the ultrasound that we... Not that we were hoping for a boy, but we kind of had our fingers crossed for one, and just two young, excited people waiting for that news, and... During the ultrasound, we couldn't help but notice the lady doing the ultrasound was pulling her hand up to her mouth and covering her mouth and was just really silent and long pauses and not speaking. Um, And we had to say to her after a few minutes, can you tell us what the sex is? And she said, oh, it's a boy. And just in this very low tone, she's like, I'm sorry, I need to... I need to leave the room and get a second opinion from somebody and, and that was it. She just left the room and we were excited but we obviously knew that something was wrong. Um, so it was pretty quick and we had a diagnosis. I had an amniotesis, sorry, where they put the needle in and test the amniotic fluid um, and they confirmed that I had a virus called CMV. So we had never heard of this virus in our lives. Um, we got a pretty brief rundown on it in the hospital and and what our options were looking like and uh, what his condition was looking like. And we got sent home and they said to pretty much go home and Google and talk to some specialists and find out more about our situation and make a decision on what we wanted to do. Um, so CMV is a, it is related to the glandular fever and the herpes family. Um, it's a virus that is all around the world. Um, it's, affects 65% of the population before we die, but the majority of that population get it as children, and you generally catch it from children, um, which I am always was always around children, and I've been travelling over in America, so it, you know I've been in contact with a lot of different places it could have come from. Um, so if you catch it as a child or an adult, it's pretty much harmless. It's just like a common cold, but unfortunately if you catch it when you're pregnant, then it can be fatal to 
um, fatal to unborn children and if not, it causes things like deafness, cerebral palsy, brain retardation, um, small brain syndrome, small head syndrome, like the Zika virus, a lot of a lot of nasty, nasty things. Mm. And we we were flown to Melbourne a couple of times to see a brain specialist and the hospitals were great and provided us with as much information as they could and we uh, made the decision based on their calcification in his brain and his brain wasn't growing and he his spleen was ruptured in his liver and um, he hadn't actually grown in size for quite a few weeks. Um, so we decided that we would go through with an early birth at 22 weeks um, and they explain it to you in hospital that if you do it pre-24 weeks that their lungs are still so small that if they survive the birth they're born alive and they generally um they generally fall into death quite peacefully mm-hmm. if, if it can be a peaceful thing for them and and we we decided for us that was the best decision that we could make for franklin um to cause the pain and it was the chances of going through with the pregnancy and him passing away at any time in the pregnancy or at birth and not long after birth was something that we decided together that we we weren't really equipped to handle or continue to go on with. So we were booked in um, and I went to hospital and they induced my birth, um, which was obviously very emotionally painful. And you go through a very long labor, as most mums do with their first birth. So I think it was 38 hours I was in labor for before he was born. Uh, and then they just continued giving me the medication to induce the birth more and more. Um, and he was born on Anzac Day mm. in 2016. So, and he, he lived for about 10 minutes, just over 10 minutes. Um, he was just a beautiful, tiny little thing the size of a, my forearm. And he was breathing. You could see his little chest breathing, his lungs breathing, and just had a beautiful face that looked so much like Dave. It was crazy. Um, and he, he, we got to, he got to pass away in my arms and it was definitely the most heartbreaking moment of our lives, but the most beautiful thing that we'd experienced together and will ever for mm-hmm. either of us now in our lives. So very tragic, very tragic ending to my first birth experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but also right from that second, we could see so much beauty in it and we're very appreciative, I suppose, of the care that we received and, the guidance and support that we had from everybody and all the hospital staff and things. And um, how, what was the process after that end? Obviously there's a lot of healing to try and do. Um, I think afterwards is probably the worst, the worst time. You have the anxiety and all of the, the horrible time coming up to it, but you still always got that hope they've gotten something wrong or something could change or we'll be the lucky ones, mm. everything will pan out okay. And and then I think once he was born and I knew that and he passed away, then we knew it was over and we stayed in hospital and all the normal things for me happened, like your breast milk comes through and we had to um, ice my chest and everything to make the milk production stop and there were babies crying in the hospital and mm. I was a bit emotional and delusional and some horrible times like that and then the, the funeral home came the next day to the hospital um Turnbull funerals in Hobart were incredible and they provided a free service for us mm. so they came and had somebody come pick um Franklin up which was probably the hardest moment of my life to hand him over um yeah and then they they took him and we went home and the next day we went in and they had cremated him and um presented him to us in a beautiful alert and we had a funeral service um, we decided just to have it with Dave and I with some special music and some letters and things like that. Um, and then I, I think, definitely lost my mind for a short time after after the funeral. There was definitely a few very dark dark weeks where I didn't think that I'd ever come out of or know how mm-hmm. I would come out of it. Um, I was contacted by a lot of beautiful people. You, L, being one of them, were one of the first people to contact me and present me with hope and words and promises I suppose that time would heal Mm. and the only thing that would help is time and for Dave and I to hold each other close and really utilize each other and our love for each other and let this situate that situation 
let our love grow within it and not yeah. any, anything else and just use each other to help each other heal. And, and that was really the best, most grounding advice I think I could have gotten because I really just wanted to isolate myself and um, grieve by myself. It was something that I found quite hard to share mm-hmm. at first with Dave. And, yeah, advice from people like yourself and other mums that had been in the same situation really was what got me through on those first few weeks. Um, I don't, I don't know what, what else I would have done in those, at that time. Um, I got maternity leave from my work, so they were obviously very supportive. Um, I got four months off, I think, so mm-hmm. I, and that was an, another great thing that I had. I did a lot of counselling in that time. I uh, went overseas to see my brother, um, did a lot of reading, uh, and did a lot of feeling empty, I suppose. Mm. I didn't really ever find my in that four months but I did find the strength to come back into reality and try and give life another another crack and yeah. and Dave and I survived that period and it was filled with a lot of sadness but we had each other the whole way through so was, yeah and I think you definitely I mean I don't I've I've not actually met Dave um I've only known of your relationship kind of through you know your Instagram and conversations that we've had but you can definitely tell from an outsider looking in and it sounds like everything that you've said that whilst it was a fresh relationship for you guys, the experience, um, you know, whilst it's, it's a terrible one and it's devastating what you've been through, it's brought your, your relationship rock solid. And I know you guys are recently engaged and, um, obviously you're going to have a long future together. So I think it's incredible that you've, you did that. You chose to, find that strength and build that more, even more beautiful, deep connection with the person that you love. Because, you know, I mean, I'm only speaking from stories that I know I'm not speaking from experience, but I think sometimes people treat the ones closest to them the worst because you kind of lash out and you don't know how else to kind of handle it and you end up driving the ones closest to you away. So that's incredible that you guys have done that. And I know you've also put a lot into raising awareness for CMV so do you want to talk a bit about that and your involvement with that cause? Yeah, definitely. That was, I think, after the first couple of months of grieving and coming out of the, the hermit shawl that I'd put myself into, I found a bit of inspiration and I decided I'd seen the Point to Pinnacle advertised on Facebook and I'm I'm a pretty keen runner, mm. um, not normally up mountains. <laughs> so I thought that's something that looks quite painful, um, mm. a quite big focus. And mm. I'm a very big advocate for exercise and mental health, but I knew what I needed to do to be okay. And and you can raise a lot of money and for a lot of good causes. So in the Point to Pinnacle, so it, it just clicked and it made sense. And I contacted Point to Pinnacle to see if I could raise uh, funds for CMV awareness um, because the more I looked into CMV and learned about it and spoke to people, nobody knew about it. And I just found it crazy that it was... It's the most common cause of birth defects in the world, and nobody knows. I've got friends that are nurses that don't know about, didn't know about CMV. My stepmom worked in childcare for ten years. She'd never heard of CMV, and they're the highest mm. risk. Um, so it just blew my mind, and I couldn't sit with that or accept that. Mm. Um, and I know so, that yeah, I, I knew nothing about CMV until I met you, and I was pregnant not long after. Um, well, I think I might have been pregnant at the time, actually, with Ivy. With number two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I remember you telling me, and I went straight to the doctor, and the doctor was kind of like, you've been tested for that before. Like, what are you worried about? And I, I kind of had to educate him on it to say, well, yep. I can recontract it. Like, like my, you know, especially second time round and all that kind of thing when I had I Billy. Yeah. And I had a, a daughter at... Um, at childcare already, you know, I'm, my immunity's down because I'm pregnant and my daughter is in childcare bringing who knows what home. And I felt like I had to kind of, you know, really fight tooth and nail to get them to keep retesting me. I think I had it tested like eight times because I'm someone, I'm those yeah. that smaller percentage of Australians that, or people, you know, globally, I guess, who, who hasn't, hadn't contract, contracted it before. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah like you. you. You're at the highest risk. Yeah, and if and if I hadn't have yeah. known you and been connected with you, especially on social media, to you know it, be educated on this, um, children, all nappies, of that, running yeah. noses, the handrails at childcare, anything. Yeah. yeah. 
So can you just, from a, from an educational point of view for anyone who's pregnant or looking to become pregnant, maybe just give some information on what they can do to try and protect themselves? Yep. So firstly, definitely go and see your GP. Um, ask to be tested for CMV, so it's cytomegalovirus. virus. But if you just say CMV or CMV virus, every doctor will know what it's about, or if they don't, they will have to look it up in front of you and find out. Mm. Um, so CMV virus, it's generally contracted from children or kids under the age of four and spread through childcare centres. Um, you can catch it off adults as well. It can be passed from adult to adult um, to prevent catching it from children. So for mums or, or people that are already pregnant, it's absolutely no sharing food with children. Don't eat your first child's leftovers. Don't let them eat off your fork. Wash their plates. Don't just make sure that you're completely over the top with hygiene. Mm. Um, carry around hand sanitizer. Use a lot of hand sanitizer um, every time you clean a nappy. Um, touch building blocks. Play with their toys. It's and it sounds a lot, and it sounds intense, but it's the amount of women that I know now since I had CMV that have got CMV while they were pregnant, or they're now waiting for their CMV to clear their system so they can get pregnant again. Mm. Is devastating. It's it is huge in Australia at the moment and it's definitely not going away and it can be avoided just with really good hygiene mm. um, if your partner goes somewhere that he's around young children he needs to be carry all those same precautions um, if you have had CMV before you are at a lower risk but if your immunity is low then you are at high risk of contracting it twice so once you've got CMV it lies dormant in your system like glandular fever does but if your immune system is low enough, then it can come back. It can mm. be active again. So I guess I tell my friends when they go to get tested, I say what you want to hear from the doctor is you've already had CMV. That's your best case scenario. That, yep. that makes you more protected. Uh, but more cases than not, my friends go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, congratulations, you, you don't have CMV. You've yes. never had it. And it's so infuriating. Mm. But... Yeah. Yep, that's and definitely Google. Hop on Google and there's so much information about it. Yep. Um, you'll probably find throughout your lives as mothers when you meet children that are deaf or have cerebral palsy, um, majority of those children in Australia is caused from C and B now. So deafness is the most mild um, effect from C and B and if you contract C and B while you're pregnant then that's that's what you hope is all that will happen to your to your unborn child. So what I'll do, and I'll put the um, the link up for CMV Association, I think for the it CMV, is. Yeah, Awareness yep. Association, that's yep. great. And there's so many stories from other families in there. There's um, a lot of information for living with CMV. We were worst case scenario, so I don't want to scare everybody, mm. and especially someone listening to this if they had CMV and they're pregnant. We were worst case scenario. There's no, there's, there was no worst time I could have caught CMV. I caught it three to six months before I fell pregnant. So that's when CMV is the most active in your system three to six months after contracting it. Yeah. After six months is when it, it lies down and it's dormant and then it's, it's not, you're not high risk anymore. But we were, it couldn't have been worse timing for us if we tried. So majority of mums, I think they say, contract CMV in their last trimester um, and then find out when their bub is about three months old that their hearing's not they don't have good hearing or mm. sight or things like that. So okay. I don't want to put the fear into everybody, but I just want to make make sure that as many women are aware of what CMV is and have that option to go to their doctor before getting pregnant and be tested for it. Absolutely. And like I, everyone I know that gets pregnant or is looking at starting a family, I'm, I'm letting them know too. And I think the more awareness, the better. Um, so I did interrupt you before asking about this. So you were talking about, um, putting your energy into raising funds and doing the point to pinnacle. So if you want to go back to kind of that, that yeah, story. So I think the more people that I spoke to in Tasmania that didn't know about CMV and the fact that my own doctor read my medical reports when we were eight weeks pregnant and said, Oh, your blood has come back. You've got glandular fever. Don't worry about it. It's perfectly safe. Mm. On that pathology report, it said I had CMV, and this doctor didn't know what CMV was to read it or tell me about it. And she was a woman with children herself. Wow, um, I didn't know that end. Yeah, it just got more. It just made me more and more angry, and I had to find mm. somewhere or something to do with that that wasn't being angry or bitter or wanting to storm into the doctor's surgery or blame somebody or mm. people with blame, but. 
So instead I decided that I wanted to reach as many people as I could and let as many people know about CMV. So I got the CMV Awareness Association page added um, to the fundraising list for Tasmania. So now anybody can raise funds or locate the CMV Awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the Frank Knight page and we I raised, I think, $6,500 just in Tassie um, towards CMV Awareness. So all of my funds were used for posters that were made up and put in um, doctor's waiting rooms, um, breastfeeding rooms, mm-hmm. um, mother's rooms, you know, like the Westwood Shopping Centres. Just not a, not a huge deal, but enough for people to sit there and see it um, yeah. in the places where they're most likely to be. Um and they'll post this up in childcare centres as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the amount of feedback that I got from women online, women that I don't know, I had girls contact me because somebody that I knew on Facebook told them um, mm. they either had seen me or they were having a baby. I've got at least five close friends to me that have now had CMV since um, and said that they wouldn't have been tested had they not seen my fundraising or the fundraising that I did. I, I did know somebody that was... Um, doing a long treatment of IVF or a long journey of IVF trying to have a baby and they contracted CMV um, during that treatment and then were forced to take a 12-month break while the CMV cleared their system. But mm. had they not found out that they had CMV and they finally got surgery mm. baby that they'd been waiting for, that just would have been devastating. Mm. So every time I have a conversation with somebody that tells me that they've been tested or they want to know more information because they want to get pregnant or they want to tell their sister um, makes every little bit of Franklin's short life worth even more to yeah. us and mean even more. It just, yeah. And you, you can never say that, I hate to say when everyone says everything happens for a reason because we don't think he came and was taken for a reason, but we can find beautiful things that have come from his life being here and so many lessons that yeah. we've learned and other people are learning too. Incredible, and um, so you had what what sort of happened after that? Like I know we'll talk about um, your next pregnancy, but I guess was there anything specific? I know you've kind of you moved, you and Dave moved, and maybe talk about that. Yeah, after stuff that... probably exposing our whole life on social media um, mm-hmm. with raising all of the funds and awareness for CMV, um, we felt we definitely felt like we wanted to get out of Hobart uh, for a little while every as strong as I felt and as as far as we had come there were so many great corners and bad memories and things like that in Hobart so mm-hmm. we um we packed up and we left and Dave got accepted to finish his apprenticeship in Canberra mm-hmm. um wasn't very excited about moving to Canberra but all <laughs> the family are on the south coast so yeah. it was okay we we packed up and, and we did that um, we moved to Canberra. I was working back in the government. Um, we life was going pretty good. We uh, both of our careers were going well. Um, we were starting to get on top of money. Um, everything in life should have been perfect, I suppose. And I just, I never found happiness again in my mind. I suppose I never felt myself. Um, I went to my sister's festival for a holiday in Early Beach and had a week with a, a really good friend and. I just, I don't think I smiled and meant it all week and just realized that I wasn't, I wasn't okay and I'd never really came back to myself. Mm. Um, so then I, I did, um, started doing some counseling in Canberra and started making some different change, positive changes in my life to find that happiness again. And I think, and then a few months later, we got pregnant with Otis. So mm. he was 12 months early. <laughs> we'd, uh, we'd spoken about, how in 12 months' time would be a perfect time for baby number two. I would have got my long service leave and Dave would have qualified. And I think the night we decided that we would have Otis, we must have already been pregnant. So Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this... I hate to to use the pregnancy as, in, or not use it, but refer to it, but for me it was nearly a magic pill for my mental health. And yeah. I, the minute that I knew that we were having another baby, I found like a spark was really in my yeah. heart and yeah. I had hope and I was genuinely happy and yeah, obviously fearful for the first 20 weeks that mm. something could go wrong, mm. um, but stress is not good for pregnancy and I, I wasn't willing to do anything to jeopardize that pregnancy, so it was pretty 
pretty happy. We've been pretty blessed from that day onwards, mm. I think. So how was the pregnancy and, um, you know, was there any things that you kind of, did you get extra checks because of what had happened before to help you kind of relax? Yeah, I definitely did. The Canberra Health system were incredible. Mm. Um, they gave me multiple free ultrasounds at the hospital. I had more checkups than anybody else. I had a number I could call any time I wanted to go and see a midwife for any reason. Um, they were just incredible. And they knew that my risk was really low to to catch CMV again. Mm. Um, but they were more than happy for my mental health and uh, the health of my pregnancy to monitor me closely. Um, we... I, I was a lot more, I felt amazing. I didn't have any morning sickness. I wasn't tired and I realized that that's how pregnancy could feel. And then it was only then that I realized how bad I felt in, in my first pregnancy, I suppose. Mm. Um, I continued working and exercising and gardening and walking the dog and pretty high spirited throughout. I, I definitely had anxiety and worries. Mm. Um, I had a very lovely friend sent me a very lovely gift and it was a Doppler so that I could listen to the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> that was definitely what saved me from sleepless nights because I could pop the Doppler on my belly and listen to his heartbeat and go to sleep knowing that he was okay. And there were the mornings when you wake up and you don't feel them kick for a second or two. Um, mm. I think I still do it now and Otis sleeps in and I oh, yeah. don't hear anything and your heart just races and you go to the worst. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was definitely the normal amount of anxiety that I expected after what had happened with our first pregnancy. Um, but I feel I had a very happy pregnancy and it was a very healthy, very healthy, good experience. I was really excited for birth. I was really excited to to have a normal birth experience like all these other mums talked about and mm. um, experience the pain for the pain that it should have been, a physical mm. pain and not an emotional pain. Mm. I have a bit of con- more control in the in the birth as well, so I had big plans for that day, um, and was really really excited for it. And how was it? Oh, pretty tough, pretty mm. pretty emotionally, pretty traumatic. I we brought Franklin into the hospital with us. We we set his little urn up and a photo of him in the corner. Mm. Um, we have a candle, a special candle for him that we burn each year on his birthday. And, Every nurse that came into the room, they were beautiful. They would introduce the next nurse to Franklin yeah. and let them, the next nurse know about his story and who mm. he was and where he come from. But I think Dave and I were just in tears before the contractions had even started, not out of fear or excitement, out of sadness. And I think um, we just couldn't have seen that come in, what happened. Mm. That was probably every every built-up emotion we'd pushed away, mm. like in recovery um had come back at that moment and yeah it was just a very 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 traumatizing time um my my placenta had started tearing off the wall of my uterus also so my waters had broken about 14 hours earlier um and i was losing quite a lot of blood and they said that the placenta was coming away so it was getting more and more painful and emotional and i was hungry and as everybody knows, you don't eat when you're supposed to eat before you give birth because you're too excited. Mm. And <laughs> I tried some gas and that made me really nauseous and things were just getting worse and worse. Um, I, yeah, I ended up having an epidural, so I got prepped for surgery because they were getting worried that if the placenta unattaches and it cuts off the life support. So yeah. we had a seven-minute Otis evacuation plan, mm. um, which I was dead against and really didn't want that to happen but um we were we were pretty lucky once I had the epidural then they induced my labor um quite a lot so within about four or five hours he was born um then the experience of going through contractions but not feeling it was very strange and I was really emotional that I I was quite hard on myself I was apologizing to Dave and crying that I had the epidural because I thought that I'd let go of the control of the birth and I wasn't being a good enough mum to Otis to bring him out myself and just a lot of irrational emotions mm. going on in that room and um yeah and he was he was born about four minutes before midnight so my stubbornness and determination I tried really hard to get him born on the third of the third <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> the clock was ticking and I was yeah. like you're not getting born tomorrow you're coming out today <laughs> um and yeah from that 
from that minute on, I I had I had been really worried about the minute when they put pop the baby up in your chest because I'd heard so many stories about how strange it can be, and I was really worried I wouldn't feel a connection to him straight away, or I'd look at him and be a stranger, or um, anything like that. But I was I was one of the lucky ones. Mm. I could I felt. If anything, I was probably very possessive immediately and I didn't even want to give him to Dave. Um, <laughs> I remember when Dave had to have skin on skin time, I'm like, I think that's, I think Dave's had enough. That's <laughs> <laughs> my turn, give him I back. I think you should bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> so um, did that open up, like, do you feel like the, the the really high level emotions that you guys felt just before labour started, did it? Did that kind of go and it was just came, you know, the love and the obsession just happened with Otis or was that still quite an emotional time remembering obviously what had happened with Franklin? Um, I think a lot of the emotions stopped by that stage once he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were there and my little sister and they came into the room and I think it immediately turned into a celebration. Excitement and um, yeah. Excitement and celebration and yeah, I just couldn't take my eyes off him because he'd move <laughs> and everything he would do and, and they put him into when they gave Franklin a cold cot so he got to stay in the room with us for after the birth and things like that and they put Otis into it and it just looks the same as the little newborn cot that they put them into um, mm. but we, we spoke about the similarities in their faces and um, I think for my mind it's, it, it replayed a little bit of the confusion I remember when with Franklin I heard a baby cry in the hall in Hobart in the hospital and I woke up and I put my hand to him and I thought that he was alive for a moment yeah. and it took my mind a little while to catch up and I definitely relived a few of those emotions in hospital after, just after Otis was born. Mm. Um, I was definitely a bit scared to sleep, I think, but thinking that I'd wake up and something could be different or... Um, but until the three-day baby blues came, I was life was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What happened? They... They're definitely real. Yeah. Were you home they, then? Um, yeah. Yeah, we were home about... We're only in hospital for another um, 24 hours. I think I spent two nights in hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were home and my beautiful stepmother had been at our house cleaning up and tidying and folding all of my blankets in the wrong way and putting things in the wrong cupboard. <laughs> um, and it was basically enough to make me have a melt, mini meltdown when I got home and... Because uh, everyone to leave and really politely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just went into my room and I just cried and cried and cried. And my dad, I could just see dad was really worried and kind of like, what's wrong with her? Why is she crying? Mm. And then Dave was really worried and I was like, I don't even know why I'm crying, but I just feel so sad. I just felt really, really sad. And I just wanted to be alone with Otis and start to be a mum. But once the family left, I didn't really know what we were meant to do either. Yeah. Or or what we were doing, if, mm. if we were doing it right. And um, I didn't like the idea that I had to leave hospital the day that I left too. So I, I, I think that set my emotions off. Um, but And I was pretty vocal about not wanting to leave hospital and I didn't really, wasn't really given an option. So, so how long reason. how long did they last? And... Um, only, only maybe two days max, I yep. think. Yep. Okay. Um, I just needed it just to be Dave, Otis and I so I could see what what life looked like. And, yeah. and the, the first couple of days where you, you're getting up every two or three hours and trying to breastfeed and Otis had tongue tie. Um, I had inverted nipples, which I didn't know were a thing. And then there were blisters and bleeding and all of the things and, and not being able to sit down after birth and things mm. like Just a lot of things that I didn't think about about after birth. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of not glamorous parts of aftergrowth <laughs> that no one warns you about. No, so true, so true. Yeah. Regardless of what kind of birth you have, I think that's definitely the case. Yeah. yeah. So my, you... my best friend surprised me, and I, I just burst into tears because I just couldn't cope with the, oh. <laughs> the outside world coming into the world. Bubble Little bubble, that. yeah. Yeah. But you obviously, yeah, as you said, you got there and you worked through it. And I know he's your absolute world and he's bloody adorable. Um, how did you tell us what happened then with um, moving into kind of returning to work and what job you went to and support from your supporter? Yep. Were you still breastfeeding, all that kind of thing? 
Yeah, sure. So once we sorted out all the niggas with breastfeeding, that was progressing along really, really well. I was really lucky in the end um, for our success with breastfeeding. Um, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to learn how to do. Mm. Do it's a skill we need to learn, and it's natural for them, but it's definitely not natural for women. Um, I don't think. Mm. Um, so once we got that mastered, and I had was thinking about going back to work, I went back and had an interview at um, my my government job uh, for a permanent position. So because I was on a long term contract there, so I were qualified for the permanent position, but it was full time basis, and I tried to get part time. Um, and the only thing on offer was working ten till two. Um, which wasn't their fault, that if we had have had family in Canberra, that could have been a perfect arrangement. But for me, it would have meant full-time childcare for Otis mm. at such a young age. And it just filled me with too much anxiety and fear at that time. Mm-hmm. So we decided it wasn't an option for us. Um, and then I, something I always wanted to do was get into the fitness industry. It helped me immensely with my mental health over the years from anxiety to postnatal depression with Franklin um, and just it's been a constant part of my life ever since I was a child and and yeah we took the took the dive and I, I had days for full support and so I started studying when Otis was three months um, I started doing my surgery in fitness um, and at about six months I had to go back to work because we needed financially we needed the extra cash and maternity leave had stopped mm-hmm. um, so I went back to work doing nights um, at a restaurant that I had worked at before Otis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a really good sleeper to start with, so that made life a lot easier. Um, but, of course, he started teasing in about seven months, so all of that wonderful sleep stopped. And <laughs> I would have to get home from work at about 12 at night and express and then get up at 2 a.m. and feed and then get up at about 4 or 5 and feed and he'd usually not go back to sleep. Um so it was just learning to nap when he napped during the day and all of that kind of fun stuff. But he was, we were very lucky he was a good sleeper and that made working nights um, achievable. I can definitely understand the thought of working nights and most mums out there would just, they would never sleep if they worked nights because their baby would be up all night. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely worked for us, but only due to that he was a good sleeper. So Yeah. Um, and that was from six months, and so six to 12 months, and I, I did about 30, 30 to 40 hours of nights, continued breastfeeding. Um, it definitely got harder as Otis got a bit older and the demand was higher and working long shifts at work. Mm. Um, if I didn't express on time, then I definitely noticed my supply would start reducing, and hospitality is not really an industry that you can take your pump to and say mid prime service at 7.30. Sorry, guys, I just have to go and pump. I'll be back. Um, look after the bar. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a juggle and making sure that I ate at the right times and had enough hydration and I wasn't physically working my body too hard. So a lot of things, those things can affect the milk. Um, but we just held on to 12 months um, and then I just went on to bottles then. So, um, and I, yeah, it's, I was very, one of the mums that were very scared of bottles. I don't know why I had any what fear I had and now I'm completely pro bottles and formula and think it's wonderful mm. um, but I I couldn't tell you why I had those fears beforehand yeah um, but I just did I think I felt I definitely when he had his first bottle I felt that I'd been replaced and all the hard work and effort we'd gone through in the beginning had just been taken over in one second mm. um, but you think lots of funny things when you're hormonal <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. So what happened um, after that time? Like kind of what's happening now and where does does Otis go into care and all that kind of thing? Um, So 12 months he started doing two days childcare. Um, I was still working hospitality and I started working at the gym as well. Um, So I was doing a couple of mornings and days at the gym and nights. He took to childcare really well, a lot better than I took to him going to childcare. Um, he obviously got sick all the time and that was the worst part of it mm. but he started walking within a week like he wasn't far off but started walking within a week using utensils for eating eating better um he he was always pretty social but it just the leaps and bounds just from going from two days a week were incredible um 
photos. They were really accommodating. They looked after his sleep time really well. He had two naps at different times to other children and whatever our needs were, they met them. Um, they were really great and he, he had some really lovely carers there. Um, we moved from Wollongong not long after, or sorry, a couple of months after that. So I was just still studying, working the mornings at the gym, working nights at the restaurant. Um, probably the most tired I'd ever been in my life. I think I fell asleep at the traffic lights a few times <laughs> when they were red. Uh, <laughs> but I had an end goal and we were going to get there. So um, we, we weren't in a great financial situation when we got pregnant with Otis and that was probably one of the biggest topics on is this pregnancy right? It wasn't that anything else was wrong in life. It was only finances at that time. Um, so the first, first 12 months of Otis's life for us financially was the biggest struggle either of us had ever been through. Mm-hmm. Um, Canberra is a very expensive place to live. We had a couple of cars to register. Petrol was expensive, rent horrendous. Um, and it, just, it definitely ate us alive for a while. And, and that was nearly next to the stress that we'd experienced with Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't far behind for the emotional stress and fear, I suppose, it caused for our family. Um, but it was just another challenge that Dave and I worked through together and we've come out on the other side now and proud to say that we're getting to a really good spot and it's another thing that we've another thing we've achieved together, mm. I think, and it's been really good for us. And breastfeeding is free and Otis was pretty cheap before he was 12 months old. <laughs> yeah. So. That's, yeah, that's now. before they start. To, yeah, that's then, that's not now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where are you, what's actually happening right now? What's in life? Yep. So I'm just about to qualify. So I finished my work placement. Amazing. I've got one more topic to submit, um, which is crazily exciting. I've got a lot of fear around the fitness industry just because it's new and scary and unknown, but I've got a lot of plans for my future. Um, I want to do a lot of mobile PT for mums so I can take my own gear to other mums' houses, um, train them in in their own home, in their own environment. They can stop and breastfeed their babies. They can feed their toddlers. They can give them a cuddle if they're crying, things like that, and have it a little bit more of a relaxed style, just things that I would have liked not long after giving birth. Um, I will focus a lot on people with mental health issues, and I'd like to provide discounted rates of PT to help people struggling through anxiety, depression, postnatal depression. Um, I think exercise can be an incredible tool that a lot of people overlook. Mm-hmm. And nutrition. Um, so a five-year plan for that and creating my own business is it's huge, but it all costs money and takes time, and I need to build my experience. So um, I've gone back to the government part-time, which I was dreading, but it's actually been quite a, a nice quite a nice surprise. That's good. Um, it's a bit of a different appreciation, I suppose, for my position and my seat and the money that I earn in a day and and appreciation for the other people there in the office, knowing now what all the other parents that I had always worked with in the office go through before they even get to work and yeah. then what they do when they get home from work. Um, it's pretty crazy from the minute you wake up to when you sit down in that office seat and then I look at the young other young girls younger girls and think, Oh my God, what did I how did I be late? <laughs> Okay, I know. <laughs> what did I even do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Oh, I know. Seriously, um, it was all that all that disposable income and all that disposable time, and you don't even yeah, realize like I'm... you're wasting it, girls. <laughs> and I was always late. Yeah, yeah same. Rolling um, out of bed, chucking on some quick makeup, like quick splash in the shower, and yeah. yeah. No showers me in the morning. But... <laughs> um, but it's good, and I I feel really proud of myself now, and I I feel like I'm definitely integrated into society as a person and a mother and a human and since becoming a mother I've found a confidence that I've never had in myself I've mm. I didn't do a lot of after school of schooling after I left school and that's something I think that had played on my confidence a lot growing up comparing myself to my friends that had been to university and then we're all really smart but since becoming a mom I've got a new power and I have a new belief in myself that I can do anything I want and and what I want to do is be successful and create a wonderful life for my family and so we can travel the world and we can have a beautiful house and we can have nice things or do nice things or it's not even really about things but just to have options and mm. yeah. You just that just kind of made my heart explode. That's like the best <laughs> that's the best thing that could happen and I think, you know, you've gone through 
what you've gone through and you've done what you've done and it's just incredible and these these little kids whilst they challenge us and you know it's not all roses that's for sure um I just think the way that it changes you in like like so deep within yourself to just want to do better and be better and be a role model and all that kind of thing I just think we can we can thrive from it like it's it is so challenging and yeah and tough but man you can do some really cool stuff when you're a mom (laughs) we're like super women I swear and parenting for us now like to be able to teach our kids how to look after the environment Mm. um teach them awareness for domestic violence teach them about refugees teach them how fortunate they are there's a lot of things that us as mothers are aware of now that we can help our children be aware of so that they can be better humans in the future and make more impact and i think there's a lot of people that don't have children because of global warming but if you can have children and raise them properly to leave a smaller footprint and make more of an impact then that's got to be just as powerful Mm. as not having children at all i think absolutely so, and with the, with the day-to-day, how do you find the balancing act now and what are the biggest challenges you face? And then I guess any sort of successes you have or any, like I know in my episode, I just had a couple of things that I'm like, this is really tough, but this is what's helping. So a couple of life hacks, um, yeah. yeah, anything like that that you could share? Um, in the early days, working nights worked really well for me um, because of my anxiety about leaving Otis, mm. um, going to work, and I put a lot of pressure on myself that everybody else can do it, I shouldn't be able to do it, mm. um, and then I took a step back and realized I don't have to do what everybody else is doing, if this is how I feel, it's okay to feel that way. I was seeing a, um, a parenting counselor as well at the time, which re- she really helped me follow my own path, I suppose, and mm. it's okay to have your own journey and your own path, and if your life doesn't fit what it was fitting pre-baby that's fine because your life's completely different and it's a chance to reinvent your life and your future and find something that works for you so I think working nights for me worked really well I have never met another mum that agrees Mm. (laughs) Um, and that is that's completely fine um I think life is it is hectic at the moment from when you when I wake up in the morning mornings were my favorite time with Otis and we were pretty chilled and there were lots of cuddles and breakfast and we go to the park and we go to the beach and all that kind of stuff is now a very hectic hour, hour <clears throat> running around making lunches getting in the car um and then after work in the couple of hours that I have with Otis the separation anxiety for him is pretty heightened at the moment he's just turned 21 months and mm. if I'm in the room he cries unless I'm holding him at the moment so he doesn't seem to be with anybody else but he okay. can't be on the floor if I'm in the room at the moment because he's just adjusting to a total new child care he's at family, well, he's at family day care now um, and trying to I guess be gentle in my approach with him I don't want to discipline him for the way that he's feeling at the moment mm. but we also need to teach him that he needs to start being okay when I'm around and not screaming and crying and that he can that he's secure and he's safe and I'll go and come back but they're the they're the challenges that we're facing at the moment um he still sleeps very well and we're grateful for that or I'd probably lose my mind but um mm-hmm. yeah they they're they're just the real life challenges I I thought I'd have more anxiety going back to work in the mm-hmm. office and spending my days long days away from him but um it's all for the greater good and it's actually quite nice being back in that environment and moving forward and feeling like I'm achieving but mm, um, so... I just will get there he yeah you sound so rational about it all I think sometimes we can get caught in our own heads and you know and the mum guilt kicks in and and I know I get it, but every now and then I just get that other voice on my shoulder that just tries to look at the rational side of things. You've obviously got yeah. a clear goal and a clear vision and you know what you've got to do to get there. And, um, and it's not forever. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's That's what I keep thinking. And whenever I go through days and I'm like, man, this is like today. It was so – in the morning, it was so tough with the girls. And I just think it's just happening for right at this moment. It doesn't mean it's going to be like that tomorrow morning or the afternoon. Yeah. Just get this situation sorted and move on to the next thing. Cause luckily life's never the same or it'd be very boring. And you know, having challenges is just what it's all about. So look, I think, I think at a young stage, it's such a short time of their life. Yeah. Of their whole life. Mm. Um, but 
definitely stress points where I've thought that I I couldn't feel any more tired or I couldn't cope anymore. I can't cope with the screaming, continuous screaming anymore. But yeah. it's always short lived. Oh, it's never forever. It's uh, there's a saying someone forever. told me once: the nights are long, but the years are short. And whenever. Yeah. <laughs> I would have That's those sad, tough nights. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it's what you want to hear in that time of thinking, yeah. you know, um, holding a crying baby, but um, through the night. But yeah, it's so true. So look, I um, is there any other things that you kind of wanted to get off your chest, or any other advice for new mums, or anything like that that you wanted to say before we finish everything? Um, I'm sorry, this is a long one. No, no, <laughs> it's, it's all about you. It's, it's going to um, take as long as it needs to. Probably just one thing I'd want other women to never not consider is counselling. Mm-hmm. Um, pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy counselling. Um, I have a, a quite good friend who is not long just been released from postnatal psychiatric ward for postnatal depression. She never had depression in her life. She's had a really nice life, has a very beautiful life, a beautiful husband, a beautiful son, couldn't pinpoint any reason why it didn't even know how bad she was feeling because there was nothing in her life that could make her feel bad. Um, and it, that got to a very serious, serious rate and she's now doing um, quite intense counselling um, sessions. But it's changing her life and she's now a stronger person, a better mother than she ever thought she could be or would be Um, just never underestimate that power and utilize other mums because mums like you and mums like my own mum and my sister and really tapping into that inner girl power because Mm. it is the other mums and the other women that get you through and you know we're all humans and no matter where we've all come from if you've got children and you've got sleepless nights and you know we all know what it feels like and you've can, you just have to have compassion and understanding for each other, and, pre- and, and be prepared to sing out and tell the story. I think yeah. as well. It's this. It's one of and the main. And say how hard it is because it yeah. is so hard. It's yeah. the hardest thing I've ever. Done. I've never had this much patience. Or sometimes <laughs> in your head, you just shut your eyes and you're like, "Can you just shut up?" <laughs> <laughs> but you can't say it out loud. But yeah. you find ways to with it or have a glass of wine and don't feel bad about it I often had a second glass of wine and felt really guilty and then things like that and and mum guilt is real and and don't feel stupid for feeling guilty because it's natural um but there really is no reason to feel guilty because everything we're doing is for our children yeah exactly absolutely there's no selfish there's no selfishness in being motivated to want more out of life or want more for our kids we are totally drinking the same Kool-Aid and could not agree with you more. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I just again, um, I just want to mention to anyone that has listened that this may have brought up any emotions or feelings um, or triggers for you that um, to obviously connect with your support networks or there is an organisation Angie's recommended that did help her through her times of, um, of grief which is Bears of Hope. They've got the website bearsofhope.org.au and 1311 Hope over the grief line. And thank you so much. I just, I don't have words to say how inspiring and incredible you are. Thank you so much for telling your story. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I feel all the same feels for you, Elle. You've always been amazing and been such a great, beautiful friend and beautiful support to me. And to have the relationship and connection that we have off social media has given me so much through my early days of being a parent and I couldn't thank you that's so beautiful I think and and that's one thing that I will say is that that's that's the platform where you can use social media for Mm. such positivity yeah Yeah. and I know like you know you obviously put things out there and anyone can like and comment and do whatever but for me the power of reaching out to someone directly and I've done it to a few people that have just come back and said like genuinely thanks so much because I think sometimes you can just get a whole bunch of likes and comments or, you know, sad emojis mm. or whatever. Um, but getting that direct connection with someone, it's just, it does something else. I think it just knows. You were part of a life changing point for me when you, when you reached out with Franklin and it really was, you were one of the, you were one of the girls were a huge 
main part that made me go, I've got this. Mm. I'm going to be okay and I need to work with Dave, not against Dave. Yeah. And this is us, it's not me and him. Um, yeah, and I really couldn't think more. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'll sign it off. Um, yeah, I think... I'm just so happy that this is all happening. I think there's just so many messages and so many other stories and, um, yeah, you've definitely got it, Ange, and lots of lots of us do. So thank you guys for listening. Um, we'll uh, release in the next episode in the next few days. Bye.